Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with Cub member Dave Malcolm. Dave is a serial entrepreneur, having founded companies like Marley Spoon and Dinnerly. Dave is now the CMO of Miria, which is a blockchain gaming company. If you didn't know what that means, don't worry, I didn't either, but he explained it and it is awesome. Dave is one of the leading minds in this new Web3 world that I've ever spoken to. And he taught me so much about crypto, Web3, gaming. He's an expert in scaling business through marketing, operations, and great strategy. It was an incredible conversation. I learned so much, so I hope you do too. Enjoy the show. Dave, you are the second person ever that we've done the podcast with, or that we've recorded a podcast with outside of my apartment. The first was Boris. We had to do it at his boardroom. Yeah. Um, so so you're going to have to excuse me if uh, I'm a bit rusty. We're in new territory here, but welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm more excited to be here or missing out on being in your apartment. So. <laughs> but um Oh, it's such it's such a great spot, and it's great to be back in the club. So thanks for having me. No, awesome. And, and I mean, just before we started recording, you're going, you're trying to tell me about Web three, which, I, from what I understand, is like the blanket term for crypto, NFTs, and all this new stuff. Mm. But then you started mentioning Web one and Web two, and I'm like, what, what what is that? So do you want, what is the difference between Web one, Web two, and Web three? Yeah, sure. So I, I think the easiest way to to look at it is Web one was the first incarnation of the internet. So pages on the internet that you could go to and read. So, you know, quite simple, um, you know, information, a bit of news, but no interaction, right? And then Web2, um, as, as it's referred to, was the introduction of social media, um, e-commerce so that that came as well but yeah so your your myspaces your facebook's um instagram um and this sort of social element to it and web3 um as it's referred to but it, i mean if you if you're on sort of twitter or crypto twitter people are talking about web4 web5 but i mean you know web3 really is the decentralization and the interaction of community on the internet. And that's kind of where we're at today. And Web3 sort of represents all of these kind of next level amazing opportunities for people to interact, build community. And then obviously there's this whole new layer of technology available to people. So be it crypto, NFTs, et cetera, um, that I'm sure we'll talk a bit about um, that wasn't previously available. So that's kind of, I think, the the high level. Well, what do you mean by decentralization and interaction of community as Web3? What does that mean? So I think decentralization means many things. So, you know, whether it's decentralized as in the blockchain, you know, which is your dispersed ledger of information. Um, But instead of information being housed in one place or on one server, um, the information is spread um, through infrastructure and nodes all around the internet but what it means for people is again this community thing which i'll talk about 
a fair bit is the most it's the most important thing of Web three is that it allows people to build on different technology and contribute to different projects in their own way. Okay, and, and so you know all about this stuff now because you, this is your space, or what, what's your uh, what are you focusing on at the moment? So I'm currently working um, as the CMO at a company called Miria, and they're building a blockchain ecosystem um, for gaming specifically. Um, and prior to that, I worked in e-commerce and, you know, showing my age and prior to that back in the old days, you know, selling print ads. So I've kind of seen it from all, all the way through. And, and so Miria, mm. um, blockchain gaming, that's yep. what it is. And, uh, yeah, before I get into all of that, before Miria, you were a bit of an entrepreneur or you are a serial entrepreneur yourself. You had a few, um, um, uh, would you call them starting a Marley Spoon? What was the other one? So I did uh, Marley Spoon, I co-founded. Yeah. And then we built the sub-brand to that, which was called Dinnerly. Okay. Uh, which was sort of like your Jetstar version of Marley, of Marley Spoon. Of Marley Spoon. Um, and um, yeah, those were awesome businesses. So I think, you know, when I actually first met you we were just starting that up um similar time frame uh, to cub actually and then yeah, when did you come in 2016 yeah 2016 i think we first met here um and um yeah went on on our path so it's great to kind of collide again now now i'm uh, a member um but yeah so i mean marley, marley spoon was a a, a a fascinating business because i i had the opportunity to co-found that and we grew that business from like myself and another co-founder to when I left sort of 350 plus employees. Uh, we listed it on the ASX and it still goes strong today. Wow. Um, but yeah, pure e-commerce um, with all the trappings of physical products, you know, food in boxes, supply chain and performance marketing. Um, and now I've sort of moved into, uh, again, a, a different space where we're building again uh, thankfully with no boxes and perishable goods but lots of different challenges but so you i mean you're a tech founder with a and you've got a specialization in marketing that that's really what you enjoy most is that correct yeah correct yeah yeah and and what about before so uh, what about young dave where, where are you from what do you do you yeah. always want to be a do you always want to um uh, be a, an entrepreneur or, or I think, what's the situation? Yeah. I, I mean, so I moved here in 2001 from the UK. Um, I was actually wondering, I was like, you've got an accent, but like, yeah. it's not that strong. Oh, uh, it still hasn't bought. I'm still not, I mean, I'm Australian, but I still um, haven't quite got the accent. But yeah. So I moved here in 2001 for all the reasons that Poms moved to Australia, the great weather, uh, you know, and so on. And, um, and just, you know, ended up staying. I, when I first got here, I was working for a company called Rockstar Games. And I was the head of marketing and PR there. And they make uh, Grand Theft Auto, um, like a, a huge game. Great game. Huge gaming franchise, lot, lot of fun. Um, and yeah, from a marketing perspective, very traditional, really. I mean, I remember we were just standing up Twitter. YouTube was becoming really big, obviously huge for gaming, right? People want to see gameplay. Uh, and then I, I left that business because I had this like entrepreneurial itch, right? And I think, you know, my hero was like Richard Branson. And, you know, I, I just wanted to have a crack at building a business, but I had really no idea what to do. So I, I left Rockstar uh, and I started going around different meetups in Sydney. 
um, trying to get into the startup community, looking for opportunities. I went and worked um, at a few like mobile game studios uh, in a marketing function as well. Uh, I built a few um, startups of my own, you know, which all failed, obviously, because I had no, had no idea what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. And um, then eventually, actually, I got a, a mentor um, and uh, I met him at the park. Our kids were the same age and uh, I kind of got talking to him and he was like, <clears throat> you know, Dave, your, your ideas aren't, aren't great. Actually, he told me my ideas were shit. Um, and I was like, OK, um, what, what should I be doing? And he kind of introduced me then. His name's Dan Yarosh. He's actually one of the people at BCG Digital Ventures um, here in Sydney. And uh, he introduced me to the other guy and the global founder of Marley Spoon. And then we started building that business. So I was quite lucky in, in the fact that it wasn't an idea born out of a, a garage, you know, in Palo Alto or whatever. So we kind of had a platform to go with. Uh, and then we just rapidly scaled that business to the best of our ability. And that was really the proving ground for me to learn like so much. I was very, very lucky, you know, like these, these things born out of experience, but everything from setting up customer care to uh, figuring out logistics to purchasing food and then obviously the whole performance marketing aspect. So, you know, selling a brand direct to consumers. Uh, so, yeah, it was a fascinating journey. It, it, it is interesting because you've it, – it's – it's not, I guess, it's an in-depth, but you could also call it traditional. Like, you know, you were uh, part of the marketing at Rockstar. You, you know, you, I'm assuming that that gave you a bit of like insight into the entrepreneurial world or, you know, the, the tech, the world of tech companies and that type of thing. So you decided to go out on your own. What were some of these shit ideas, by the way? <laughs> So-called shit yeah, ideas. Yeah. You know, what did you try? Well, what there, failed? There was a really interesting one, which we called, um, what can I do? .com.au. And so we started off with what we thought was a really snazzy name. Um, and it was, it was basically a listing website of things to do in Sydney. So like bridge climb or jet boating or restaurants. And then the idea was that you would buy your tickets through the website and we would donate a portion of that to charity. So it was like, what can I do with my time? And what can I do to help my community? Problem was, and it's a, I still think it's an awesome idea. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's a great idea. But we just didn't know how to build. Um, we just didn't really know. We were very good at sales. So uh, we were going out and signing people up um, So and signing up charities. Uh, but the problem was we just couldn't build the tech stack. Um, so that was an interesting learning. It would have been something like a similar business model to like a – booking.com or a finder yeah where yeah. you would uh, you know i would book through i would book through booking.com uh, booking.com takes commission from the hotel for the sale and it, it was that the model you were going for yeah exactly i just think we massively underestimated the amount of money that it was going to take back <laughs> then to do something and there's only so much time you can spend sitting in your kitchen uh trying to get things off the ground and then um, I did some other things. I, I, I built an app with a friend. Um, so I had a kid and I was like, oh, I don't like the apps that are out there. So we built um, a thing called Little Scholars, which was like a, a, a maths game where you were building a rocket. And I mean, all, all fun things, but never got like traction. Um, and in hindsight, um, just lack of experience, really. 
And so what do you think <coughs> was the difference when it came to Marley Spoon? What, what, was the, what do you think made Marley Spoon successful? Because uh, the others actually, I, I just, was his name, da, uh, no, was his name Sam? Dan, Dan, da, Dan yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of disagree with him. I, I don't mind. <laughs> they sound like not bad ideas. Yeah. But, but why do you think Marley Spoon was able to be successful uh, and those ideas perhaps weren't? Yeah, so I think it was, um, you know, good backing. Um, Financial yeah, or good, good knowledge? Fi- so, so both. Um, you know, the, the business was scaling up in – Europe as well. Um, there was great product market fit because we had seen um, some competitors like HelloFresh um, doing good things. So we knew there was a, a a need and a requirement for the product. So I think when you first launch a business, you have to take this like leap of faith, right? And it's kind of like, oh, we believe that people will want food delivered to their door in boxes. Okay, made sense. And then also just great knowledge. So um, switched very quickly into very data-orientated performance marketing. Um, lots of people in the business just obsessed with um, optimization, um, both in you know engineering, um, sort of the operations of, of the food and the logistics, but then also the marketing elements. So just a great group of people um, with the right experience um, that could kind of divide and conquer. So, um, so I kind of a, a strength in numbers uh, situation or more that um, I think the business was very well delineated. So we split it between what we call promise and deliver. Um, so the promise is obviously the customer promise, the brand, and then delivery being the logistics operations. Um, and, you know, it's a, a low margin, high cost business. So there's no, there's no room for error. Mm. Um, and then just a lot of really hard work. Which, which means you need on. a great fu- marketing function because you need the numbers to make the money. Yep. And you need fantastic uh, operations. Otherwise, too many mistakes. You make no money even with the, with, with the customers. Absolutely. So it's actually quite – if you think about it, it's actually quite a difficult business um, to, to, to yeah. execute. I mean, I think it's one of the – one of the hardest, to be honest with you, because, you know, it's just in time delivery, um, you know, mass consumer marketing. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really hard, but um, a lot of fun. We should actually describe what Marley Spoon is, though, yeah. to the listeners who may not know. Yeah, so um, Marley Spoon's a meal kit delivery business. So you go onto the app, um, you, you choose what meals um, you want to cook. So say, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday, you might be out with friends or whatever. Um, and they deliver a recipe card and the exact ingredients you need so you can cook that meal at home. Um, so great for convenience, uh, for busy people, great for families as well. And also um, it comes in at sort of a cost parity to going you know, to your local supermarket. So, um, yeah, um, I mean, I still use the product um, week in, week out or dinnerly and I get my son to cook, it's a bit easier. Um, yeah. Yeah, perhaps. I think I'm going to – I reckon I'm going to start using it. I, I've actually never tried it. Oh, that's an outrage. I'm gonna, I know. <laughs> I agree. What, what are your thoughts on Milk Run? Have you been you've been using Milk Run? I love I love Milk Run, yeah. So, I mean, I, I live um, sort of in, in a great spot for it. Um, and, um, yeah, their, their delivery model is 10 minutes. And 
they've changed that now. Oh, well, to be honest with you, like I've never had anything take longer than like three and a half, you know. So <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic. And I think that kind of quick commerce model, you know, they've been in, in the news a bit lately um, because, again, it's really hard. And I think people just expect everything, you know, we, we just have such high expectations of tech, right? But, you know, imagine you place an order, they've got to find it, they've got to pick it, they've got to get someone on a bicycle out in the pouring rain to your house to deliver your ice cream or whatever. It's it's bloody hard. I am convinced, it's so hard. I'm convinced <laughs> Danny is going to be one of the wealthiest people in the country oh. just by the fact that he figured out how to get food to someone's door in 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you know how hard, it, take, it would take a normal person 10 minutes just to, Pick the food from the from, I, mean, I know they've got their own uh, uh, little store things at yeah, there. Yeah. But even just get just reading the card takes a minute. Yeah. Then right. again, you got to get the food packet, got to find the driver, give it the driver. What happens if there's a red light? Yeah. You know, th th there's a lot of. I, I actually don't know. I can't figure out how he did it. Yeah. He's, he's the smartest man on earth. Yeah. I'm convinced. I, I think he's a great entrepreneur. Um, but the the user experience. So all of these things all come down to like, does it work well for you? me the customer and they do some great things you know they focus on personalization um you know transparency in their um you know logistics you know so they've taken all of the things that were kind of good about you know you know some other other businesses like how oh, i can track my pizza or whatever and they've just ramped it right up so yeah i wish them every success and I, you know it's a hard business but also you know fascinating as well think of all the data that they're collecting you know, so they know that between, you know, six and eight o'clock on a Saturday night, this is what people want. And that data is like hugely valuable, mm. even if it is just, you know, tubs of Ben and Jerry's or, yeah. you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah no. But I am, um, I, I also think like I read some of the titles uh, about them in the, in the news. Like, but if you actually read the article and mm. um, it's it it's it's it, it doesn't match the title uh, extremely or like yes okay maybe they're losing money per delivery but if you uh, hear what Danny's saying he's like yes but that's that's that it started at, we, we were losing twenty dollars now we're losing twelve now we're losing only twelve dollars and yeah. you know next month we're expecting to lose six as we figure out how to better do the um uh the rostering yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and that type of things and even the fact that they've gone from ten minutes now to uh, like it just says minutes. Hmm. It, even 20 minutes is pretty impressive. But I yeah. mean, you know, welcome to the news cycle. So, you know, everyone likes to, you know, stick the boot in. But like you say, I mean, they're, I think they're doing they're doing a great job. And, um, yeah, the logistics is the hard bit. Um, you know, ha, ha, how do you manage the supply and demand? And so they've obviously got a lot of clever tech in the background. But it's a, and, and the reason I brought it up is because it's kind of similar in a sense to what you were doing in terms of, yeah. Food delivery. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I think, you and know. Selected, and yeah. selected. I mean, option. Marley Spoon is like a complete meal picked and created and tested in a kitchen by chefs. And so it turns up and you cook it. So it still requires cooking. What they're doing is obviously groceries. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do because you, you've got to think that they might just put a little like spag bowl bundle together, you know. Um, well, they're doing now. They're doing like um, – yeah, like I just the other day, they're like, have burgers for lunch. And I, like it gives you all the different yeah. burger like kind of options. It's nothing like yeah, Marley Spoon, but yeah. it was just fun. Like, but then they kept burgers for about two weeks. And I was like, come on, guys, give me another option. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that I think it's a, I think it's really interesting just from a 
um, a model perspective and, you know, again, what are customers want and can we fill that gap with awesome UX, awesome service at a reasonable price? So, yeah, no, I'm a big fan. And just like all business, it's kind of like what's the problem that we're solving? Well, I mean, the problem they solved for me Mm. was – uh, and this works from, of course, my experience as well. But the problem they solved for me was, I hated walking down to the to the. And I live on basically like there's a Woolworths next door, yeah. and I still hated going to like yeah. going down to the supermarket. And they solved that problem. Now I don't have to do that. It, I save a lot of time. The same way Marley Spoon mm-hmm. saves the problem of what do I eat, yeah. and how oh, I have to look up the ingredients, and then I have to go to Woolworths. So I have that yeah. problem as well. And then I have to walk around Woolworths, try find the ingredients. That that's next to it. That takes me another hour. And then yeah. like Marley Spoons, bang, he's at your door. He's yeah. how to do it. He's what you need. Go for your goal. Go no, for gold. Absolutely. And I think um, you know more and more people are remote working, um, as we know. And you know exactly, people want that level of convenience. They still want to experience. Um, you know, the, the good things, but they want it maybe at their desk, but their desk is now at home or somewhere else. So, yeah. You know, this is, this is slightly off topic and we'll get back on topic, but but one thing you said that the transparency of the logistics is really good. Yeah. I agree. And there's some companies, um, and I, I won't say, I won't say which one only because I might be wrong and you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't think I am. But it's one of the food like restaurant delivery companies. If if they uh, haven't got a driver to pick up your food, mm. um, it used to tell you looking for driver, like food's done, looking for driver, looking for driver. Then they figured out people must be complaining that their food's going to be cold, so they're cancelling. So then they started saying, food's still being prepared. Food's still being prepared. Your yeah. food's being prepared for two hours. So there's no driver. But so yeah, you know, like, And you know as the user, I guess the lesson there is, you can't lie because as the user, I know you're lying now. Now yeah. you're a piece of shit because yeah. now you're lying to me. You're trying to fuck up my food. It's going to be cold. Yeah. And and you're still you're just trying to figure out how to benefit yourself rather than you actually solving the problem, which is making sure there's a driver to pick up my food. Yeah. You're making me – you're trying to lie to me to just eat your cold food. Yeah, so you know you mean? Do, I think you it's touched offensive. on – It's offensive. Yeah, but you touched on something important there is that what they're not doing – they're making their problem your problem. Yes. And they're not solving they're not solving the root cause. Now, it's hard, I get it, but yeah, you've got to be transparent. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because that plays into everything that's now going on in, in the different communities, um, in businesses that people are building, particularly in Web3, is people want to be part of the journey. They'd much rather know the truth. They want to see what's going on under the hood. And then what do you get out of that? Loyalty engagement, um, all the good things that a business wants. You're never going to be successful by trying to pull the wool over a consumer's eyes, particularly now people are much smarter, more more financially conscious as well at the moment with everything that's going on with the global markets. People want to know what's going on. And um, what's the, I think the most important thing with any business is trust. Mm. So if your customers can't trust you, they're not sticking around. I agree. And and it's sometimes it be, it's good to show people kind of behind the scenes in a sense, like yeah. what's actually happening in the factory. Mm. Like one thing we've always discussed at Cub, we've never done, but we've always discussed it, is creating some sort of content series or like a YouTube or video or whatever it is that actually shows that, that if we just film ourselves sitting down, mm. 
talking about which members should meet which members, introducing them, seeing what comes from that and and and, and showing the behind the scenes of yeah. what's going on, how 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 different groups are chosen and why why topics of events are chosen and how we you know speak to members for that. Finding the, the people I think people like to see what happens in regardless of what your company is. Yeah. They like to they like to see okay, how are these guys actually doing it? And and if you're if you're doing it really well, it builds confidence because they're going to be like, fuck, they're really smart. Yeah, I yeah. like how they, that's how I would do it or, or yeah. that's better. I, I can't believe that, that how genius these people are. Yeah, I'm going to continue working, doing business with them. Yeah, well, people want to be – so I think you should do that. It would be great content. Unless you have a shit system or operations. Yeah. Then, then, <laughs> but then, but then you haven't solved – Then you're going to scare people off. Yeah, and then you haven't, then you haven't solved the problem, right? But I, I think you're right. People want to be engaged and – you know, people are invested in brands, right? So, yes, they want to be engaged with the brand. And that could be Cub, it could be Marley Spoon, it could be Milk Run, it could be Miria, it could be Audi. You know, people want to know what they're applying their time, money, and, like, allegiance to, right? And so I think that level of investigation into brands is, is huge, right? And, you know, you talk about that with Instagram – you see a new like cafe pop up or a, a, a new butcher or, or whatever. You go and you have a look and you see what they do and you try and get a glimpse of the, the produce and then you'll be like, you know, to your mates or your partner or whatever, we're going to go and try this place out because, you know, uh, you, we've had a little look under the hood. You've been enticed in. And I think that's The why chef looks like a really great guy. Yeah, or like I haven't I haven't seen this kind of pastry before or, or, or whatever and they're funny and you're kind of like, yeah, I want to support that business with my time and energy and, you know, that's why content is such a an awesome marketing lever um, because it's authentic. And to your point, yeah, if you've got shit process and you're not showing it and people are like, well, these guys are, I'm going to – Go over there, mm. and and it is it's it's kind of like people by by being a customer, you're kind of aligning yourself with that brand or that thing. And I mean, the big obvious person that that mastered that was, or maybe not mastered, but was just someone everyone refers to about it. It's like Steve Jobs. Yep. You know, it's like it was a computer company, and they somehow connected to the creatives and the 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 people that were thinking outside the square, and you know, the innovators and. Yep. And it was like, okay, because I'm using Apple, I'm an innovative, creative, independent think, independently thinking person. So mm. that's that's the company I'm going to use. Yeah. And it's it, it, or Nike. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I'm I might not be a great athlete, but God damn it, I'm an athlete. I'm going to go yeah. for a run. I'm going to put my Nikes on. Yeah, and I mean they were you know two two great examples. So you know what what Steve Jobs did, which is obviously well documented, is you know give consumers products that they didn't even really know they needed so very visionary and you know what you were saying about nike is like i think one of their um taglines is everyone's an athlete right so it's yeah we'll do the elites yeah of course but also we can still put on our joggers go for a run and and again really clever messaging really inclusive you know we we build a community around our brand rather than it just being you know Usain Bolt or, or whatever, and everyone's like, that's not me. Um, so, yeah, they, they did a great job, and it comes down to community, inclusiveness, great content. Yeah. 
And people buy into that. And and so obviously your focus and or your I guess correct me if I'm wrong. Primary focus is is the marketing is a marketing growth aspect of things. What do you refer like? What is performance marketing? You mentioned it before. Yeah. What what is performance marketing? So, performance marketing, in my opinion, is two things. One, it's a mindset. So it's like and. You can apply it to everything, but it's like we're going to do something, an activity, a, a marketing campaign or effort, and we're going to measure that very, very thoroughly using data to then inform our decisions to optimize the process, right? And so when you're talking about performance marketing, I think – Traditionally, it could be any channel, right? So it could be we're handing out flyers outside the station. How many flyers are we handing out per minute? What's the conversion rate? Are we optimizing every process? Are we A-B testing the flyer? You know, every element. It could be, so it's a real mindset thing, how we look at it. So it's just measuring things. Kind of like your sales process. What's your... How many bookings a day? What's your show rate? What's your close rate? Correct. And then what, right? what can we do to adjust those different so, things? So I think, again, it comes like if you can't measure it, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Arguably. If you can't attribute a result to an action, you are wasting time and money, right? Um, and then in the digital sphere, things are very easy to measure. You put up a ad, you can see click-through engagement, can test like the marketing technology now is phenomenal right so you know there's no excuse really for be doing anything that is unattributed so we did something we don't understand the result what you you wouldn't do that right so excuse me so performance marketing for me is is the mindset and then the application of analysis and and technology to it um so it obviously just makes a lot of sense, but it requires a lot of governance, thinking, measurement, planning, optimization. So it's kind of easier said than done. Yeah, I was just about to say it's harder to do <clears throat> yeah. than it is to say. Yeah, and I think when you look at specific channels, you then need to build up expertise in those channels. So say if your brand wants to do a lot of television um, or it wants to be, do like, um, you know, a, a lot of social media advertising, there's different skills and tools required to measure those different channels. So it's about building up functional expertise in those areas. But again, you know, interestingly, you always want to put the customer and the community first. So are we doing the right channel activity to engage with the right people? So, you know, I might find you in a certain area and I can send you content or advertising or information um, but myself, uh, I might be somewhere else entirely. So there's a huge amount of kind of governance and planning around it. And so to give us an example, what would be like, how did you go about creating and growing the user base of Marley Spoon? Yeah. So like, what was your strategy? Yeah. So uh, it, it's interesting because it's a, it's a real, so when we started, it was um, very, very bootstrapped and we started off with, you know, kind of old school methods so we would do um flyering um letterbox drops because really what you're trying to do with that brand is you're trying to engage consumers um at home so you're actually 
selling not to individuals, but you're selling to um, front doors, if you will. So having something in the in the letterbox is engaging. You know, someone picks it up on the way in, they look at it, and they go, and they and they're saying, "What's for dinner tonight?" Because they're just walking home from work, and then they're like, "Oh." I'm going to give this a whirl. Some teriyaki chicken, which I can <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which I can cook in 20 minutes and it's going to be amazing. Um, and then we scaled very rapidly into digital channels. Um, so we, we did that. Um, you know, we obviously had the kind of umbrella of your kind of um, search marketing. So when people are looking for, you know, delicious meals at home, they would find it. Uh, and then very heavily into um, performance on Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, et cetera. And, and then the, the kind of the, 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 the hard bit is then what happens when those channels get maxed out and Australia is quite a small country in terms of audience size, right? So, you know, if I've served you a Marty Spoon ad on Facebook, uh, back in the day, if you still use it, um, you know, I actually don't. Yeah, no, I know. No, yeah, yeah no, nor, nor do I. Um, but you know, if I've served you that ad forty times and you haven't engaged, or, or I'm missing you, that there's a problem, right? And then you know what Marley Spoon did very cleverly is then they start doing a bit of outdoor, or a bit of transit, or they do um, subscription TV, or they you know. So as brands get bigger and you max out one channel, then you have to look for another channel. And of course, you need to measure them all as they go. So that, that's definitely true. Like we, we, I've learned that over the years too. And also, sometimes what helps is you, you might hit one channel hard, take a six month break from that channel. Real marketers say never to do that. I'm just saying what Cub's done in historically and what's worked for us is you give the channel a break, mm. move to a different channel, yeah. maybe one after that one, and then you come back and do the cycle again. And uh, uh, you've given people a break, it's kind of new again. And even if they thought about it last time, oh, okay, I'll do it again this time. And and um, having that kind of cycle where yep. you're not – because eventually they just kind of dull down. You, you stop getting the results that you once did. And sometimes, like, particularly for a new business, when you're starting, you get some of, you, some of the most – like when we launch Cub in a new market, we have uh, – uh, an influx of inquiries and, and, and people who want to join far greater than at any other time. And because everyone's interested in, oh, what is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, oh, yeah it's, it's exciting. And But when you're new, you you screw that up because yeah. you don't know, you know, you haven't got your correct ops in place for, for growth. You haven't got your correct operations in place for servicing. Mm. And and so you need you want to keep um, – um, you want to keep, or A, one thing we learned was, okay, you might screw the first launch up, but the second one learn from that and the third one, you know, yeah. the third one take all your lessons from the first into into, right. into the, like, for example, Brisbane for us, which is launching in February. So you're taking but a performance mindset though, you see. Yeah, That's see, good. you've got an inbuilt performance factory in here, yeah. but um, in this brain. But, uh, but, but, and then the other thing is for the ones like Sydney that have been, I mean, Sydney's a, a company that's now been around for, almost eight years or seven years, something. Um, um, uh, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's done a lot of the channels. Mm. And now it kind of moved to a position where it's almost functioning. We almost are, um, or we search for new channels like PR, mm. which has worked excellent. But um, we've 
we've got a once you have a user base that's so big, that user base ends up then providing you. Yeah, so you marketing. get you know your word of mouth and referral. Yeah. So you're mean, finding new channels was kind of what I was. Yeah, into. but I mean, mark, marketing and different life cycles of the business. Yeah, and I think marketing's really binary, right? And I think people love to overcomplicate it. But like marketing is basically like, is your is your product available in someone's mind? Do they know about it? And can they get it? You know, it's really that basic. And it's like, am I aware I want to need this? And this product or service uh, matches a requirement for me. Do I know how to participate, engage, or buy, right? And I think people get lost quite heavily in, you know, trying to overcomplicate it. And then your channel mix, as you say, is like, well, how do I tell the people that I think want to engage, buy, or be part of my brand of goods and service? And how do I tell them why in the right channel? And, you know, you kind of test and learn and repeat that. That sounds very simple, but of course that requires a lot of hard work, planning, messaging, um, and so on. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, when it comes to channel selection, you're right. I mean, it's great that PR is going well because it makes, it makes a lot of sense for your, for your brand, for the people you're trying to talk to and engage. Well, we didn't do, we didn't even, that, that was PR being a good marketing source was, uh, was, uh, just a bonus. We didn't do PR. We haven't been actively doing PR to obtain clients, um, particularly in Sydney of which we're pretty much full. Mm. Um, but it was, it, but we could see the interest spiked after after yeah. PR happened, um, and it, it's just finding new. My point with it was, as the business grows, you can find new the new mediums become available that yeah. perhaps weren't once available or wouldn't have been effective yeah. at that at that start. And I mean, one thing is giving your business the ability to go through marketing, but it's a whole other thing. Um, building a team of, I think you said, 350 people. Yeah, that to me, that would be the hardest part. Yeah, like, it's already hard for 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 me. It's hard, and we're 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 trying to. Um, uh, we've only got 20 something or whatever it is, and it, even that's hard. Finding them took seven years. You know, yeah, you yeah. would go through a lot of people to find the, to find the ones that are correct. Yeah, and um, I, I don't even know how you would go about building a team of 350. Yeah, so I think you know, there's there's there's, there's two things. So we can talk about hiring, but we should also go back to what you mentioned earlier about like re referrals and word of mouth, because it's very, very relevant to all businesses and particularly in, in Web3. Um, but with hiring, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you use all the truisms, you know, you, you hire slow and fire fast and you have very rigorous values that you assess people by when they join your business. And um you know, you try and do fast, efficient hiring, um, you know, so the candidates and people coming to your business have a good experience because ultimately, you know, whether they join or not, you want them to have had a, a great interaction with the company brand and culture. And, you know, you treat hiring like a product and you treat culture like a product. Um, you know, you would, you would never launch a business without speaking to your customers. So why would you have a culture or a hiring process where you don't engage as well? So you ask for feedback and all those good things. Um, but yeah, it takes, it takes time. But, but so, I mean, you wanted to go, you wanted to go back to, um, referral process. 
Well, I, I just think it's really interesting because um, the most authentic and uh, efficient, low-cost way to do any marketing is for you to tell your friend that you've had a, an awesome experience with a brand, right? So, you know, you have um, what's referred to as like an NPS score, a net promoter score, where you sort of go out and you go, you know, it's one to 10. Would you recommend this brand product or service to a friend? Yes, no. And, you know, Apple, for example, we were talking to about earlier, incredibly high net promoter score. Businesses like Marley Spoon, very high net promoter score because people have found value in the product. And then, you know, from a channel marketing perspective, yeah, the more people that kind of go, I've had a great experience um, at Cub and tell other people, that is way, way, way more efficient than trying to serve them an ad or, um, you know, whatever other channel you, think you get to. And, and the reason I kind of wanted to bring it up as well is that it's probably the most important marketing channel in Web3. So everything is built on community, referral, word of mouth, um, and, and be it kind of investing or participating in a game, you know, in Web3, we don't even do paid advertising in the traditional sense. So you won't see, and some of that's to do with legislation. Um, so you won't see people going, um, buy Ethereum, or you know, you might see ads for an exchange, um, but it's very, very heavily regulated, the crypto space. So in terms of market, in terms of advertising. Yeah, in terms of advertising. In terms of everything else. It's so not. for example, you can't advertise um you couldn't advertise Myria on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Google. It's all banned. Why? Um, and also, we'll, I, well, then we'll talk more about Myria and actually yeah. what it is. I mean, the 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 reason it's banned is just because um, – the uh, well, No one understands I, I, it. They could probably get ripped off if, yeah. they, didn't, if they didn't, you know. So I think there's some – there's definitely a bit around consumer safety and people not understanding it. Um, but – I mean, I think it will absolutely change um, because that's where everything's going and um, these large platforms and organizations will, because of course they're very commercial, they'll be like, oh, we're missing out on a lot of ad revenue here. But also advertising in the traditional sense isn't seen as hugely authentic. Um, and when you're building communities, people don't want to be served ads. They might have an ad blocker up. Um, they don't want to be chilled constantly about do this, do that. They want to do their own research. And that lends itself very heavily to community word of mouth referral. Um, but in, to your point about why, I, I think it'll change over time. So it's like credit cards, you know, 15 years ago, couldn't advertise them. So I think it's because crypto is still associated with, you know, it, you know is it an investment? Is it not? You know, what is this space? And what's your thoughts <clears throat> on the current crypto environment and the, I guess, the fall of the value and all that? Yeah. I mean, from a sort of macro perspective, um, I mean, there's a saying that you build in a bear market, right? So <clears throat> what you're seeing is um, the markets are really down. There's a huge amount going on behind the scenes. Um, and it's sort of a recalibration. So, you know, Bitcoin, for example, follows these like four-year cycles bull and bear markets, um, 
So I, I think now is the time where there's like consolidation. Um, a lot of the uh, scams and poor operators um, will kind of get washed out Removed. in this process, which is fantastic. And also people are still trying to suss it out. So I'm very bullish about crypto um, across every aspect of it and what it represents. Um, but no, I think it's an interesting time. There's a lot going on with the technology. There's a lot going on with Ethereum. Um, and what are your reasons <clears throat> for being bullish about it? What are your yep. reasons? What, 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 how do you justify in your, in your mind, mm. th this is something that uh, I want to invest heavily in? So there's, 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 two, there's two areas. One is understanding the utility of what blockchain does for certain products and services. So we can talk about gaming and, and why it just makes sense, right? Um, but also from a macroeconomic perspective, um, everything that's, you know, and, and I have to disclose, like I'm a obviously kind of, you know, all in on, on crypto. So, you know, my view is, you know, can be challenged left, right, and no, center. but that's why but, it's good for me. Yeah. That's why I asked that because mm. you obviously are all in, mm. which means that it would be great for, for myself and the listeners to – get your perspective and opinion on why yeah. you're all in and, yeah. and you know, perhaps like, oh, maybe I should be a bit more in. Yeah. So, so I think in, you know, from a sort of fundamentals perspective, if you take Bitcoin, it is a, an asset that has a fixed um, availability. There is only so much Bitcoin, there can never be more. So it has zero um, inflation and it has scarcity which is why people call, call Bitcoin digital gold. There is only so much of it, right? So they can't just print more Bitcoin. You know, the cash machine doesn't go, you know, they don't um, try and solve economic problems. There's, uh, it's fully decentralized uh, and you own it, right? So if you've got $10 in the bank, not only are you suffering, you're, you're not earning much interest on it, right? It's also $9 of that is being loaned out by the bank um, at any one time. So you don't really own your $10, right? Whereas with Bitcoin or just say crypto, you do own that asset. It is yours. So it's not subject to yeah, Someone else inflation. is lending it out. Correct. So someone's not using it. Um, so no one's rocking on your dime. Um, but how is it valuable? Well, like, like that's like that would be my question. Okay, that's great. There's only yeah. ten bitcoins, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but ten of nothing yeah. is still nothing. Like what what makes it something? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's you know like with any asset class, um, it's a store of wealth. And I think the the reason that people find it valuable is that it is non corruptible by external forces, and that is why. People are excited and interested about it. And bear in mind, people that are into crypto still are very, I mean, it's exploding now into the mass market awareness, but people that actually invest, it's still a very small percentage of the world. But it's people, and the reason it's valuable is like, it can't be stolen. It's not subject to uh, inflation. The government, in theory, can't just steal it off you. Um, you're not going to get a situation where, you know, like in Argentina or, in Greece, where suddenly all of your money disappears, you know, you had your $10, it's now worth five. None of those factors exist. So it is considered a sort of immutable, stable 
storage but system. But it is subject, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. to market fluctuations yes. from random people saying things like, oh, you know, or let, let, yeah. I, I, again, I don't know much about the topic, but like if Elon Musk said, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm getting into Bitcoin, Bitcoin will go up. If Elon Musk on the vice versa said, yeah. ah, Bitcoin was bad, you, it's, it's get the value of it's going to go down. Um, yeah. and, and, and that happens on in a lot of smaller extremes, like there's all these, you know, I'm not in these groups, but all these kind of like cubs for crypto people, you know, yeah. that are on there. What's that, what's that platform called? What's that platform? So actually you know it because it's gaming yeah. and crypto platform mostly. Discord. Discord. Yeah. yeah, all the Discord groups talking about, oh, yeah. let's sync this one, let's raise this one. Yeah. yeah what about that? Because that does cause a, a lot of fluctuation in, into this asset's value. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so you have your kind of blue chip assets, if you will, so... Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some others, but with you know Solana, and they are more stable, if you will. And then you have lots of other tokens and projects that aren't stable. And I mean, I think the point you're making is that they're still highly um, Fluc- it, they fluctuate. They fluctuate and they're influenced by other people, right? Um, and I think that is very true. And you'll see that stabilize over time. But that is no different at a academic level to the stock market. Stock market. market right? But what you see is because it's so new is that people don't really get it. And um, I think what you'll find over time, and I'm not an economist and this is not financial advice. It will stabilize. It. It will, the, the ups and downs will, will, smooth, yeah. will smooth out. right? But what's very important is that if Bitcoin is, for example, digital gold and Ethereum is a bond and you have these other projects, um, would you invest in a stock on the stock market if you knew nothing about it? Yeah, you've got to have the exact same thinking process. Yeah. You're not going to just buy something yeah. randomly because yeah. someone told you. You have to look into it. Yeah. yeah, Or you have to be a user of the company, love the product. Yeah. Think, exactly. oh, other people are going to love this product. Exactly. So yeah. I think there's there's interesting ones. So where a lot of the bad press comes from, it's like there are tokens and coins that aren't attached to projects. And when I say project, you think a business, right? So they don't have a right to exist. So I wouldn't invest in anything like that. But when you're looking at people that are doing like innovative things or products that have value to customers, then you'd be like, right, I understand that. Um, I'm happy to invest, purchase stock slash tokens or equity in this project and the project is attached to a token. Um, so I think the thinking is the same. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I think... Because it's so new, people are like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a Lamborghini. I'm gonna be super rich, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna make loads of money with crypto." And it's like, well, maybe some people, maybe, do. maybe not, and and people will and they won't. But it's like, what's your risk profile? Mm. And if you're, if you're happy to lose it all on, you know, a, a coin that no one's ever heard of, fine. But I think f- for the majority of people who are getting into this space. They should be looking at it as a long-term investment, maybe not even for them, but for you know for their kids. And also, yeah, and, and one way, I mean, uh, purchasing something that is attached to something that delivers value, or that I mean, that's always priority, mm. a safer option. Yeah. But but the other thing that I think, like, if I was going to uh, invest, 
I would look at which ones have the best, who, who is first, you know, that first to market brand. And Bitcoin is that first to market brand. And then the one that, you know, there was, there's always second and third, you know, there's always Coca-Cola than Pepsi. Yeah. It, it, actually, there's no third there. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but um, uh, Bitcoin's always going to stay mm. in people's mind. It's yeah. always going to be the, that, that, that when you think of crypto, you actually think of Bitcoin. Yeah, and you I know, think there's a sort of the naming convention and, you know, people don't understand what is crypto, what is Bitcoin, so it all gets bundled into yeah. one. Now, whether or not... But sorry, but my point was yeah. that, w- that that gives it value in itself. It's kind of like... It's a brand. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. what do you do? I have a shared office space. Not that Cub is that, by the way, guys, so be very clear. We're a community. Uh, but let's say I was a company that had a share office space. Oh, is that like WeWork? Yeah. You know, they, they associate it to the first well-known brand yeah. of, of yeah. co-working. And, mm. and that gives WeWork a tremendous amount of value. Yep. And that's what I think Bitcoin's always going to have as well because it's always the one. Everyone knows Bitcoin, but not yep. everyone. Like I might know Ethereum. Mm. And then I don't know what's after that. And then I yep. definitely don't know what's after that. Yeah. So that value. So, I mean, putting into that brand as well is probably a, a good thing to think about. Yeah, and I think, yeah, absolutely. And like whether Bitcoin ends up being number one or Ethereum ends up being number one, there's so much at play. Like at the moment and you know ethereum's about to go to um, ethereum 2.0 they're changing the entire protocol there's conversation around maybe they'll it's referred to as like a flippening you know will ethereum take over bitcoin and i mean this is why it's exciting also is that how big ethereum is now well not not at the moment but there's a lot going on uh in september this year that they're, they're doing a, a merge basically and trying to solve a lot of the problems that ethereum has and so with with all crypto assets there's security it's like a triangle right you have security scalability and decentralization and a lot of assets have um kind of two or one of them but the aim is to kind of get all of those three features together and so ethereum's problem is that it's become slow and very congested so what they're going to do is they're going to change it um, they're doing a thing called a merge and they'll move and, and they'll massively increase the um, speed of transactions. So the easiest way to think of it is like putting like a freeway, a flyover over a freeway, right? Ethereum's really congested and they're going to they're gonna make it much faster. Yeah, instead of internet going, <laughs> to get onto it, it's just yeah. you got uh, you got MBN now. Yeah, same yeah. concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just, it's just, Faster and, and, and more secure. And, so, yeah. and tell me, um, it just because I'm conscious of the time, tell me, um, Miria, mm-hmm. so uh, what has blockchain got to do with gaming and how have you guys connected the two? Yeah, so, so Miria is a blockchain gaming ecosystem. Um, and what we're doing is we're building a, an organization, a project, which makes its own games, builds what's called a, a layer two protocol over Ethereum, which allows people to build their games on our platform. So if you're a game developer, we will provide you with like SDKs and APIs, amazing tools. So you can put your game, be it a traditional web two game or a web three game, and it can live on this tech layer basically. Which means what? So what it means is that you can then tokenize the assets within your game. 
And what that means, why that's different to other games is that you have custody of your assets. And I'll, I'll explain what that means. So in traditional gaming, um, choose any game, you have in-game assets. So you have clothes or guns, guns or a special car um, or a, a, a skins uh, in Minecraft or whatever it is. And you could buy that with dollars and it has some sort of uh, in-game um, either aesthetic, you look great, or it does something. I'm super fast and I'm super bulletproof, right? But nothing can happen with that asset. Yeah, you can't on-sell it. You can't on-sell it. Um, I can't loan it to you. So what the um, introduction of blockchain and NFTs allows is that, like, say I'm wearing this jumper and it makes me bulletproof, yeah? I can then sell that. Um, I could loan it. Rent it. <laughs> I could rent it to you. I could loan it to you. That's so, cool. So, you know, you're like, hey, Dave, I, I can't complete this particular mission because I need, like, your, you know, your super fast jumper. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Um, you can borrow it. But you need to kill the dragon for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So well, I'm going to become a gamer. Yeah. So I think, you know, all Start of the hustling people on the games. <laughs> well, but I mean, this, the community, like, gaming is the biggest. Uh, entertainment vertical bigger than movies there are more people playing games and and so what what this what the blockchain technology allows you to do is introduce this earning capacity right so there was a, a very big example a game called Axie Infinity that kicked off during the pandemic in the Philippines is the sort of heartland for that and by playing the game people were allowed to trade assets earn assets level up if you will and then turn that into US dollars. And that was, you know, and, and that was a genre, if you will, it's called play and earn, right? So I play and I earn. And this totally changed the kind of economic structure of that community. Now, of course, people are like, well, if I'm going to invest thousands of hours into playing a game, I kind of want to own my stuff, yeah? And it wasn't possible previously. So you could own it. It would be attached to you, but it had no value. That's a big deal. It's, it's a, a massive deal. It's a, yeah. it's a massive deal. Have you deal. met our member Peter Heary? No. You have to meet him. Okay, great. He just developed his own game. Mm. Uh, he's raised a bunch of money, raised it all, uh, a lot of it through Cub members, mm. uh, through the club. Um, and he's he's a massive gamer. He knows all. Mm. I actually just did an episode with him. What? It would have been – you should listen to it. It's one of the last yeah. – one of the past four or five episodes. I'll listen to it on the way home. Yeah, please do. Because I'll, I'll do an introduction right right after we finish. I, you guys have to meet. Mm. It's probably the two perfect members to meet in the club. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and he's an absolute legend. He's been a member a long time. Yeah. Um, um, we do actually have to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, do you want to maybe uh, – typically we finish with like a book recommendation or, or and – and a favorite quote or greatest lesson. Yeah. Did you want to drop a bit of yeah. bit of knowledge on us? Sure. So I, I think it's interesting when we talk about quotes, right? Because um, you're constantly battered on social media with inspirational quotes, like every, every day. And so I, I knew you were going to ask me this, so I, so I had to think about it. And I was really focused on um, a, a book, uh, which is um, an old school, and you'll probably hear about this if you listen to podcasts, but it's um, by Marcus Aurelius, right? 
And um, it's these essays that he wrote. But it's like these stoic philosophies, basically. And it, it's really fascinating because it's a um, kind of, he wrote all these poems to himself, uh, which no one would ever read. Um, but they're like super relevant for business and just being like performance orientated. And so there's this one I wrote down, which was, um, you have power of your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you'll find strength. And what I thought was interesting about that is, you know, when you're growing a business, it's like massively challenging, right? And when I um, look at these, um, these kind of like circle quotes, it's like, you know, just focus on the things that you can change and optimize, right? Um, don't get bogged down in the things that are beyond your control. And it's a really, really powerful tool, um, one for like your mental health, but also when you're growing a business. So optimize things that you can and don't focus on the things During that COVID, you can't. that was a, one of the biggest lessons for me. It was focus on what's in my control. Yeah. And uh, I, I completely agree with that. That's yeah. one of my favorite quotes, actually. As yeah. Well. So, I, so I thought that was really meaningful. And then I, I wrote another one down, um, which was by Eleanor Roosevelt. So a bit, again, I've gone like super old school. I should have gone like David Goggins or something. Nah, like that. nah this is better. <laughs> but, um, but like, so she was um, one of the first ladies of the United States, a massive advocate for um, women's rights, a uh, huge advocate for the United Nation. Um, but she, and she's got like, look them up, load, loads of fantastic um, quotes from her. But she said, the world of the future is in our making, tomorrow is now. And I just think that's so relevant you put those two together right and it's like focus on the things you control and like believe in yourself and we're building the future today so i put the, I, I put them down as my quotes i quite like them i love them and then um one book which is very old school so you take those two quotes and then you read a book called the lean startup by eric reese uh, and it's an absolute classic um and that's basically a playbook on on how and how to do startups and performance mindset i just read it because of the oh, technology thing we're doing at the moment yeah. it's a fantastic book so yeah so so good dave thank you so much for for coming on today what a brilliant conversation that's been and um, and and uh, we're obviously very proud to have you as a member so thank you and to our listeners, if you want to reach out to Dave uh, or find out more about him, you can go to club.club forward slash podcast and you'll find it all there. Uh, get him on LinkedIn or whatever else we have up there. And if you want to catch up with Cup on socials, it's Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. Maybe not as awesome as Dave, but it's up there. Um, Dave, thank you. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.